Viva de España. That's what the Spanish just love to say. But when you're in the northeast corner of Spain, people say something entirely different. Visca Catalunya. That's the region that is an up-and-coming region. It's one of the most vibrant places along the Mediterranean coast, as far as I'm concerned. And when I was in Catalonia last time, I was saying, now, you're this, the region of Spain, right? And they said, no, we're not a region. That implies that we're part of Spain. We consider ourselves a nation without a state. I remember just in my early days of traveling when the Catalonian people could not teach their children to speak their language, when their traditional dances were outlawed, when they couldn't even fly their own flag. They had to fly their soccer team's flag rather than their Catalonian flag. And those days are long gone. And today, Catalonia is really, really uh, waving its flag with vigor. And to visit that part of Spain is, is one of the highlights of any trip to Europe. Today, we're going to talk about Barcelona, and we're going to talk about Catalonia. I'm joined by two Spanish guides. We've got Federico Garcia Barroso and Susana Perucchini. Federico's uh, Spanish through and through. Susana is Italian, but she's lived in Spain for many years, and she guides travelers all over Spain. And today, we're going to talk about that fascinating region. Federico and Susana, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Buenos dias a todos. Buenos Hola. dias. <laughs> <laughs> now, when we talk about this, is it a region or, or a nation without a, a state? Spain really has quite a complex uh, makeup that way, doesn't it, Federico? Yes, actually, Spain is a, a country that has approximately the size of Texas. And there's a big variety, variety of people, languages, traditions. And that is quite obvious when you go to Spain. You can see that clearly enough everywhere. And you go to a sandwich shop in any big city in Spain, and you might find the menu in four languages, and all those languages are Spanish. Yes, exactly. All of them are uh, coexisting. They are all official languages. You know, Spanish is obviously the main language, but it is, uh, for me, I mean, it's quite understandable Catalan and Galician also. Basque is another story. So there's four different languages, Basque, Mm-hmm. Galatian, which is the Celtic mm-hmm. people in the northwest, mm-hmm. and uh, the Catalonian people, and mm-hmm. Castilian would be the Spanish. Exactly, and there are even dialects, you know, in, in other regions in the Mediterranean area and the islands, uh, and those dialects are coming from Catalan, by the way. Susanna, when we think of Catalan and the recent struggles these people have had, that relates a little bit to the dictator Franco, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, when I started to live in Madrid and then to travel around, the most fascinating thing was to talk to people. Of course, at that time, I didn't speak a good Spanish, so it was a good way to get in touch with people. And then my, as soon as my Spanish improved, I could get some nuances. Um, Franco was on power till 1975 when he died. And for a long, long time, it was a long dictatorship, 40 years, even more. And he was uh, ruling the country, as many books says, um, with the Iron Fist. So he was absolutely for one language, one religion, and uh, one uh, country. So, a monolithic country. Exactly. Like that sort of goes in keeping with fascism, doesn't it? Yes. Central, everybody is in lockstep, no exactly. questions asked, mm-hmm. melodramatic exactly. patriotism. Mm-hmm. Yes. Federico, what are your memories of, of the Franco rule? Well, I was a baby, you know. <laughs> I guess that's true. That was a long I was time a ago. baby, of course I was. <laughs> but anyway, it is a, yeah, it is a, a fact, you know, it's a, a reality, you know, no freedom of speech. And fortunately, Spain and Portugal were absolutely isolated from the rest of Europe for, for 40 years. And that is our stigma, you know, that is our... And th- uh, that must have really grated against the Catalonian people who mm. were really not even part of Spain. I mean, it'd be tough mm. if you're Spanish or Castilian, but if you're Catalonian... That would add salt to the wound. Now, mm. of course, Barcelona and Catalonia is uh, feeling its uh, oats nationalistically. And one of the beautiful things about visiting Barcelona is the amazing artistic flair that this city has. Yeah, I do are, agree the, with the you. The great artists. Who, who, who are you going to encounter when you visit well, Barcelona? Well, the first name that come to everybody's mind is Gaudí. 
Gaudi. Or gaudy, as you say. Mm-hmm. And actually, you say sometimes in, in American English, oh, that is so gaudy. comes from there. I mean, so ornated. Oh, is so, that right? So the yes. word ga- gaudy comes yes, from Gaudi, yes. Antonio Gaudi, because he is a little over the top. It's yes. this modernisma, right? Absolutely. Exactly. That's like, would you, was it fair to call that Catalonian Art Nouveau? Yes, exactly. And it okay. uh, comes uh, under the name of modernism. And uh, I would say uh, Gaudi is not the only one, but he's for sure the one well-known yeah. all over the world. Puigi Cadafalc, Dominique Montaner, there are many more, and they, they were terrific, absolutely great. But many of them, they didn't go out the frontiers of Spain, and Gaudí did. Ah, okay, that's it. Because I know when I'm in Barcelona, and I've been going there for, for ages, uh, there's a, one street called the Rue of Discord, the yep. Street of Discord, and, yes. and it's like all of these over-the-top fancy Art Nouveau buildings, shoulder to shoulder, as if fighting for your and attention. And actually, the two names that I just mentioned in the block of Discord, we have at the very end, if you're coming from Plaza de Catalunya, Gaudí with Casa Batlo, and we have the other two buildings, now shops or private owned, uh, that they are uh, Casa Matler uh-huh. and Casa uh, Leo Moreira. But these are by these other guys who I cannot get my brain around, and I think realistic for an American tourist, if you can remember, Antonio Gaudí. That's enough. And that's good enough. <laughs> that's really good enough. Federico, when mm. you're taking visitors around Barcelona to appreciate Gaudí, mm. uh, what are the top two sites that you like them to see? In Barcelona, obviously there's the Sagrada Familia, uh, the unfinished temple, the unfinished cathedral, the Casa Milà or Pedrera, which is a wavy facade house. That's the melting uh, ice cream kind of eaves that exactly. overlaps the center of town. And yeah. the, the Park Güell, you know, which is a kind of a fantasy park. Now, now Park Güell was like a gated community for rich people intended to be, wasn't it? Exactly. It's a, sort of a designed suburb where you have the, the fancy market and mm-hmm. the fancy park and uh, everything sort of organized, and it didn't quite sell. Mm-hmm. So nobody actually bought the expensive homes there, but ultimately became a beautiful park for the city of Barcelona. Exactly, and he was supported by some members of the Catalan nobility and Catalan burgundy uh, to make that impossible dream uh, reality. It's park Guell, G-U-E-L. Mm-hmm. L, Help. exactly. G-U-E-L-L. Mm-hmm. And for me, the, the ultimate site for modernismo is to see this magnificent church, the, the sacred family church, mm-hmm. Sagrada Familia, and it's still being built. And that's what's, when you think about these medieval cathedrals, everybody who started a medieval cathedral knew it would never be completed in their lifetime. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to think that in our age, great cathedrals could be started by people who dedicate all of their creative energy and spirit to this structure, and they know it will not be done in their lifetime. And that's the case with this uh, Sagrada Familia. It's working as we speak. And mm-hmm. tourists pay a pretty steep admission price, but that goes to the continued... It's a to, donation. It's a, it's a donation, donation to help fund the construction of this incredible church. If there's one church I want to see in the world, it's it's this church. And when it's completed, it's just awesome. Well, I don't know if it's going to be possible because every time, you know, my first, very first time to Barcelona was in 1993. And I remember vividly that it was almost empty. If you've been there recently, you now know that there is like the main uh, nave and they're building around so you can see people working. And every time that I get out the subway and the people are just a wow moment and I say to people, turn and they see the the old facade plus the new additions. (laughs) Some people are funny because they say, oh, so they are remodeling. No, no, it's brand new. So they're building. And it's better and better every year. It has made noticeable progress. And it seems Gaudi was inspired by nature when you go into this great church. Exactly. All these uh, fantastic flora and exotic fauna, you know. There is actually, there is a reason about that. 
I really think that art is a consequence of history, you know, and, and, and we see how in Spain at the very end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century had a big economical, social and political decline. We were losing all the colonies in Latin America. 1898 is the year in which we definitely lost Cuba and the Philippine Islands. And it's quite understandable to see how many artists in those days, they just closed their eyes. They didn't want to be witness of that reality and they started to dream about amazing and unknown worlds. And some of the most remarkable architects, sculptors and painters were in Barcelona. Writers and composers were in Madrid. But let's think about this uh, closing your eyes and thinking about fantastic worlds. When you go into uh, Antonio Gaudí's mm -hmm. Sagrada Familia church, you stand in there and it's like the columns are like giant trunks of palm trees mm -hmm. with the fronds mm -hmm. you, being the ribs that spread out from the top. Mm -hmm. And then Gaudí actually wanted to filter the light coming into the sanctuary as if you're in a rainforest or something like this. Oh yeah, absolutely. He had an incredible imagination. You it's know. a magnificent thing. Moving along to more artists that were born or inspired in Catalonia, of course, Picasso. wasn't Was Picasso actually born in Catalonia? No, he was born in Malaga, uh, but he spent his uh, teens year in Barcelona. Okay. So that actually, it's a very important moment in his life. Picasso, when he died, he was very old, and he probably, he's one of the most prolific artists the history could, you know. And a lot of people, when they see Picasso everywhere else, he's into his abstract art. But when you're in Barcelona, oh, in Barcelona you see the art he did as a child, as a in teenager. In Barcelona, you mm -hmm. have the real chance, or probably the best chance to see that Picasso could draw and could do everything. He was realistic. Super realistic. Incredibly realistic as and a teenager. And he was so gifted. Uh, there are some pictures that he did when he was 14, 13, 16 years old that not even a master can do after 40 years of studying. In realism. In one of the most interesting quotes I've read from him was uh, in a museum, I think, in France, which was filled by his abstract work. He said, as a child, I was forced to paint as an adult. And now as an adult, I'm free to paint as a child. Oh, that's, mm. a, that's a nice statement. Oh, I like it. And when you go to Barcelona, you've got to see the, uh, mm. it's my favorite Picasso museum because yeah. you can trace his evolution. It gets into the abstract stuff, but you trace that. And that's just one of the many levels or, or layers of this mm. incredible culture. And in Catalonia, we've got Salvador Dali. <laughs> Another character, I the would ultimate say. surrealist <laughs> slash entrepreneur slash self promoter, right? Yes, <laughs> his tomb is his mausoleum is actually a far out museum. Uh, well, it's in Cataques, yeah. and uh, it's uh, it's now a museum. For me, it's one of the most amazing museums. It's like being in a fairy tale uh, with a very thick uh, surrealistic touch. So you've got two great. Uh, Dali sites. You've got his home in Cadiz, and then his mausoleum slash museum in mm -hmm. Figueres. How Figueres. I'm sorry. Yes, Figueres. 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 And Salvador Dali's home is the best home of a dead person I've ever toured in Europe. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, all the whole trip you're seeing dead people's homes, and most of them are pretty dead. You go here, and you find the spirit of Dali, oh, and yeah. it's just a. It's trip. all over. I'm Rick alive. Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're traveling through Barcelona and Catalonia with Federico Garcia Barroso and Susanna Perrucchini, and we've got more of Barcelona with your calls coming up momentarily. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Today we're traveling through Barcelona and Catalonia in the northeast of Spain. I'm joined by Federico Garcia Barroso and Susanna Perrucchini, two Spanish guides. And uh, Federico, this has been a long struggle between, uh, you know, Catalonia and the central government of Spain. Mm -hmm. And I understand there was recently a, a vote among the people to see where they wanted to go. Exactly. And that was quite surprising for all of us, uh, for Catalans and for the rest of Spaniards. Quite surprising to see that uh, 
people were not really motivated about that. Catalan people, I mean, they so all. So Catalan people had a chance. Now Spain says, "Okay, you guys, you're, mm. you're you're grumbling. You can have a vote. You can say exactly. you want to stay with Spain, or you can say you want to break apart." And mm. not many people even came out to vote. Just a 25 percent of total Catalan population. Really, the other 75 percent didn't care about that. Now my hunch is, before the unification of Europe, more people would have came out because it mm-hmm. was Catalan against Madrid. Mm-hmm. But now that Europe is united, mm-hmm. you know, you can break away from Spain. But you can't really break away from Europe. Exactly. And Catalan is part of Europe. And mm-hmm. Brussels favors the ethnic regions like mm-hmm. Catalonia, mm-hmm. which diffuses the anger among the ethnic underdogs and the victims of the tyranny of the majority and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Is that a fair assessment? There is. There is a little fear about that, of course. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's a sort of a trend in Europe that regions are less angry mm-hmm. because Europe is more friendly to regions as opposed to the old nations. Exactly. Susanna, what's your take on that? Well... I, I also think that it's a, it's a paradox, but in life we have many. Now that we are struggling and we are putting so much effort to be one country and now we are getting to 27 uh, European countries, joining the European community now, uh, there are many countries inside the European community that they want to underline how different they are because they don't want to be so globalized. Oh, so as Europe is uniting, there's that organic, grassroots desire to to flex your own regional muscles culturally. That's my perception. And I think that in a way I do understand because you want to be uh, a European, but before you are Spanish, Italian, French, and you don't want to lose that. Consequently, in Barcelona today, people are sending their children to schools where Catalan is the first language to have those deep roots of, of Catalan culture as a first option, of course. So when I go on Sunday afternoon to the main square in front of the <laughs> cathedral after Mass and I see all of these people in a big circle <laughs> doing that Sardana dance, they're really saying, we are Catalonians. We may be Europeans, but we're also Catalonians. Oh, yeah. And don't oh, yeah, forget absolutely. that. And That's you know, a, it's something so spontaneous. It's a beautiful thing. It's, yes. a, it's, a, it's a touching thing. I get goosebumps when I watch it. We're talking about Barcelona here, and it's one of the great sightseeing cities in all of Europe. And, of course, the highlight for a lot of people is this main boulevard, the Ramblas. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Tell me about your experience with groups on the Ramblas. Well, the Rambla is uh, like if you only have a few hours in Barcelona for whatever reason, which is, of course, not fair to the city, go to the uh, Rambla, and you have from the beginning Plaza de Catalunya till the very end the monument to Columbus, you got Spain on a minor scale, or even better, you got Catalonia first. So Plaza Catalunya is the Times Square of the yes. Catalonian people. Mm-hmm. This is the ultimate square, clearly the central square. And from there you have a wonderful grand exactly. pedestrian, pedestrian boulevard beautiful. going all the way down to the harbor front where you find this monument to Columbus. And all along the way, you've got bits of history and bits of cuisine and a wonderful market, the Bocaria. The Bocaria, which is one of the best markets that I know in, in, in Spain, really. It's a big, big structure with so much food, and Catalan food, Spanish food, exotic food nowadays, because we, we have to say the Las Ramblas nowadays is a very cosmopolitan place in Europe, honestly, and there you see a little bit of everything. And when you're in a great market like that, from a budget travel point of view, as I'm always trying to figure out with my guidebooks, I know the very good eateries, the fun places to eat, are in the market or near the market, because that's for local people and the people that actually work in the market. Exactly. Mm-hmm. One of the first places that you find once you enter the main gate on the right, it's Pinocho. Is that the, with one? Oh, yes, Juanito. Mm-hmm. Uh, Juanito. He's, he's a character. He's, he's a absolutely character. a character. He's your eccentric market kind of guy who's been there for 30 or 40 years. Yes. And he's still <laughs> and it's, so his happy family. to meet people. Yeah. Now, as you go further down the Ramblas, you have huge crowds and lots of street entertainers and so on. And in my experience, every time there's a big crowd, there are pickpockets and oh, thieves yeah. working. Mm. And in Barcelona, I think you could make a case that Barcelona is one of the most dangerous places in Europe for petty, nonviolent pickpocketing mm-hmm. and purse snatching. And it happens on the Ramblas. Totally. You know why, Rick? We have a problem in Spain. 
about this. We have a problem of legislation. Personally, I've been working with a policeman, you know, in, in Barcelona and other places in Spain. The thing is that if you are under 18 and you're a pickpocket in Spain, nothing's going to happen to you. You know, there's a problem of legislation. If you're over 18, you get in trouble. But if you are just under 18, nothing's going to happen to you. And that is the reason why many... So I don't, a, I don't maybe, maybe adults are managing these kids who are ripping off. Absolutely, and these kids, they come from other countries. The thing to do about it is not to be vulnerable. Every mm. year when I go to the Ramblas, I've got mm. strangers' hands slipping slowly into my <laughs> pockets, and it doesn't bother me. It's kind of fun <laughs> because there's nothing in my pockets. <laughs> don't be vulnerable. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're joined by Federico Garcia Barroso and Susana Perrochini, two Spanish guides who have names that are wonderful to pronounce. Our <laughs> phone number is 877-333-RICK. You can email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. Mike from Mount Airy, Maryland, emails us, and he writes, uh, I was surprised to find a higher number of pickpockets, street beggars, and so on in Barcelona than I found in Rome. Our guide experienced two pickpockets during our walk down the Ramblas in a single evening. Joe's on the phone in Worthington, Ohio. Joe, thanks for your call. Thanks for taking my call. We had a, a great time staying on Las Ramblas at uh, one of the hotels near the north end, but we enjoyed getting out. We, you know, enjoy feeling like Barcelonans. We went to the market there and bought food and fruit and drinks, and then we're able to take the transit bus up to one of the north beaches and just have a picnic lunch there and swim and rent bikes on the beach. It's a lovely place. You know, Joe, that's a new dimension of Barcelona that I don't think existed, of very pleasant beaches. Yeah, they seem like they're manufactured a bit, but they're very nice. Oh, didn't they come out of the uh, World's Fair or the Olympics or something like this? Yeah, from mm-hmm. 1992, they started to remodel La Barceloneta, which is the closest beach to the city. And they took an industrial zone yep. and turned it into a luxurious, white, sandy series of coves and beaches. And Barcelona, again, is facing the sea. Thank God. <laughs> so what, what was happening in 1982? Well, the Summer Olympic Games right. and the total restoration of Barcelona. You know, so that was a huge turning point for Barcelona, really. Right now you've got this big, giant fish designed by Frank Gehry, sort yes. of as the model on that. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the fish there, Joe? Yes, yes. We <laughs> rode by that a few times on bikes. It was pretty funny. Now you said you were getting out of town, too. What was a highlight for you for a side trip outside of uh, Barcelona? Well, definitely Montserrat. We took the train there and then the vernacular up the hill, and uh, you can see all of Barcelona and La Familia. Now, first of all, that's sort of the spiritual home, uh, the historic uh, soul of the Catalonian people up in this monastery that's 4,000 feet above sea level in a mountain that they called Mount Sarat. Uh, I think that means the serrated mountains. They they cut into the sky. Uh, Was that uh, interesting from from a nature point of view or from a culture point of view for you? Well, well, both. I mean, the the church is fascinating. and There's a long line to go up behind the altar to see some relic, which I can't remember exactly what The Black Madonna. The Black Madonna. So what's with this Madonna. Black Madonna? Can you tell us, Susanna? Well, actually, it's not the only example of Black Madonnas. Other European uh, towns, especially Spain and also the southern part of Italy, uh, black not because it has anything to do with Africa, but because uh, the candles, the Sioux produced by candles, mm-hmm. and so the statues, many mm-hmm. of them were made by wood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wood, they have pores, like mm-hmm. our skins. Right, so right. they were becoming, uh, over the years, darker, darker and darker. And darker. 
Montserrat is much more than a religious symbol. Montserrat is actually a, a symbol of national pride. Obviously, many devoted people go there to see the, the Black Madonna, the Holy Virgin Montserrat, and that is a very popular name in Catalonia, obviously for every woman, you know. But at the same time, it was a kind of a refuge, a kind of a, a hidden place, you know, in difficult times, in, in, in Franco times. For intellectuals, for intellectual and, 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 and Catalonian uh, patriots, they would keep the flame of Catalonian culture alive in the darkest mm. times, way up there. Exactly, right there on the top of that mountain. It must have really angered Franco. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and Joe, you went up there by a train and then a funicular? Yes, yes. And then you can walk or hike through the area, but that got to be more than we expected. <laughs> you can get up to near where some of these monks lived in secluded caves. And So you took some hikes from the monastery then, hey? Yes, yes. And there's cisterns of water up there that they collected because it's very desert-like, but... They knew how to collect water and survive. Now, getting back to Barcelona, how did you manage on the streets with the threat of pickpockets? Well, you just had to be sensible like in any big city, keep stuff deep in your front pockets and keep, you know, moving along. You didn't stand someplace for... I found whenever there's a whenever there's a crowd on the Ramblas, it's a sort of a commotion that's, you know, mm-hmm. there's some guys playing a shell game or something like this. There's action going on here, and uh, it's really quite exciting to poke into yeah. there and see what's happening, but you got to realize it's a little dicey, so you better have uh, your yeah. buttons uh, buttoned <laughs> up and your zippers done. Right, and the women keep their purses in front of themselves, and we didn't have a problem. All right. Hey, Joe from Ohio, thanks for your call. You're welcome. Happy travels. Jean's on the line in Longmont, Colorado. Jean, thanks for your call. Thank you, Rick. I had a question about uh, driving in Spain, renting a car for 12 days. We have a um, party of four going, and every time I look to see if traveling by train, from we're flying into Madrid and going down to Granada and possibly to Barcelona, the train travel takes us back to Madrid or takes many hours from the south back. And everything I've read has been, you know, be very cautious. Cautious about what? About renting a car about and driving. traveling on the highways. and. Hmm. Well, actually, when I was living in Madrid, I didn't have a car. And when I wanted to go out to discover the country, I always rented a car. Maybe coming from Rome, it's a little bit easier. But let me tell you that, uh, Gina, it's uh, pretty safe. And I would say that today in Spain, we have fantastic highways, uh, many of them free of charge and pretty safe. Of course, 30, 40 years ago, the landscape and the situation was completely different, but not today. So, of course, I understand that being an American coming to Europe, even though we drive on the same side of the street of the road, can be a little bit, you know... Adjustment. Yes, an adjustment. But actually, Spanish uh, drivers, I would say that apart from Madrid, that can be a little bit confusing, and Barcelona, but more Madrid than the rest of the country... Is okay. And we have the new bullet trains. I, I know oh, our yeah. groups mm-hmm. used to fly from Barcelona to Madrid, and now we take the bullet train. Oh, because yeah. Much what is better. It? Ave. Train. Ave. Like two and a half or three hours from Madrid to Sevilla. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Those trains are fast, safe, cool, cheap. Comfortable. Comfortable. Mm-hmm. And undoubtedly, this year, Spain will have the most modern fleet of trains all over Europe, and those are actually in Spain. Well, that's great. And that is complemented by the fact that you can now, with discounted airlines, fly quite mm-hmm. efficiently and economically from distant points in Spain. Exactly. I got on a discount flight from uh, Santiago mm-hmm. and flew to Madrid and for, for peanuts. And I imagine, and last year I flew into Granada, and of course you could fly from Barcelona to any major point in Spain, I would think, for under $100. Exactly. Those are the prices. Mm. So, Jean, there you go. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, You're thanks welcome. for your call. Welcome. 
Barbara's on the phone in Lexington, Kentucky. Barbara, thanks for calling. Hi. One of the comments that I'd like to make is one of the areas that is up and coming and you don't hear a lot of tourists going there is the Gracia area. There's a whole lot of shops that are being opened up and a whole lot of restaurants and film areas. A lot of new things happening there. It's north of the Avenue Diagonal, and it's where people should start going instead of going to the Ramblas and all of the real, in quotes, touristy. Try something new. I think you're right on there with a major shift. I mean, for 20 years, everybody's been going to the Ramblas and to the Bari Gatico, the Gothic, the old quarter where the cathedral is, and you still got to see that, but people are forgetting that uptown, away from the dark, sort of tangled Gothic area, is a grid-planned area called Gracia, which is quite nice, and when you look at the grid plan of Barcelona, it has this diagonal street that cuts right across it all. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. what's your comment on the the Gracia? Well, it is one of the most trendy places in in Barcelona uh, right now. There you find nice restaurants, uh, nice boutiques, and you can really find a very nice atmosphere, you know. Uh, Local people and and visitors, they are all there in that area, and it's a kind of, uh, well, elegant area in Barcelona, which is very trendy from a short time ago. Mm. And the Hospital St. Paul is in that area, so you can get your fix of Gaudi also. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting place to visit. Being that it it is a a working hospital, you have to keep that in mind and watch for people that are in wheelchairs and ambulances and such. But you're going to see some amazing architecture that you walk around the buildings, and it's just absolutely beautiful. And there are gardens beyond that that are wonderful to walk around in. And you're going to miss the crowds, yet you're still going to be able to see a lot of really interesting things from Barcelona. I've really had some good times walking around there. So Excellent that, place to so visit. Barbara, that's the Gracia, G-R-A-C-I-A, is that right? Exactly. Like that? Uh-huh. That's Grace yeah. in English. And, uh, you know, when you talk about the parks and everything, uh, maybe the Echample is different, but this is basically uptown, mm-hmm. and these are planned neighborhoods, aren't they, with a, with a park figured in and a school figured in, and, and mm-hmm. it's just all very sort of elegant and futuristic and beautiful. And, and you can very... walk, and you'll have uh, the families will be sitting out in the little park areas with the kids playing football and mom pushing the stroller and the dog is walking. It's a slice of Barcelona life. And you feel like you're part of it if you stop and have a cup of coffee and just watch people. And I feel very safe walking around there any time of the day or night because there's usually a lot of families and people that you know they're the regular people who live there. It's a, a really nice area to visit. Barbara, you make me want to go to Barcelona. Thanks for your call. <laughs> hey, I want to hop on a plane, too. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, and happy travels. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Barbara. Bye. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking about Barcelona and the whole northeastern corner of Spain, a very spirited, um, proud culture in a land called Catalonia. I've been joined by Federico Garcia Barroso and Susana Perrucchini. Susanna, if you had a visitor to Barcelona and you wanted to make sure they had one special experience when it comes to eating, Mm. what would you share with them? The the Catalan cuisine is well known all over Spain because they are so good on tapas. You can find tapas all over the country, but the best, I would say, they are the ones in the Basque country. I don't know if Federico is with me on that. Mm -hmm. And in Catalonia. 
So these little tiny plates that... Uh, a little portion of something. And a tapa can be everything. And they come with a little bit of regional pride, too. And oh, I, yeah. I find that the, uh, the little um, underdog regions, the Basques and the Catalonians, are more likely to have Basque bars and Catalonian bars in their own neighborhoods because there's a sort of a solidarity yes. among these uh, mm-hmm. feisty little cultures that are struggling not to get bulldozed by the big cultures. And actually, the first language that you find in a menu, if it's a Catalan tapas place, it's the Catalan language. Then Castellano... So uh-huh. the Castilian, and then eventually English. All right. Mm-hmm. Federico, if you had a visitor that you were showing around Barcelona for the first time, what's the magic experience you'd want them to remember? I really like to go to these uh, family-style restaurants, you know, these taverns. I enjoy also sophisticated places, but I <laughs> really prefer to go to these nice places, cozy places where you have local food, where you see local people eating butifarra, Catalan sausage, white sausage, or the fouet, which is the Catalan pepperoni. I really liked a couple of places called the flutes, flautas, flauta, flute one. I love one, the flautas. Flute. Little elegant sandwiches, crispy exactly, bread. Exactly, crispy, those baguette breads, you know, with tomato, real and good tomato, and then a little bit of fouet, which is this Catalan pepperoni. And those are the things that I like and I'm, my friends like, I think. <laughs> and, and all of this is a celebration of the local culture. I remember the butifara thing, the sausage. It's like, no fast food, butifara. <laughs> Isn't there a slogan like that in Barcelona? Of course. It's actually, no, um, como se dice, in, 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 in Catalan and in Spanish, it's actually quite similar. No comida rápida, comida buena. You see, that's the way to say, ah. hey, no fast food. Yes, actually good food. And of course, that good food is Catalan food. Yes, and there is something that it's so easy to prepare, which is a pantumaca. They, they pronounce it in several different ways, which is a slice of bread with a little bit of salt, olive oil, and a tomato on top. It takes a little getting used to for an American tourist, but once you get that, it is really <laughs> a wonderful part. It. You can't leave it, and you miss it when you leave Catalan. I've been speaking with Federico Garcia Barroso and Susana Perrucchini. Thank you very much. Gracias. Actually, how do you say gracias in Catalan? Gracias. Gracias. Molt gracias. Moltes gracias. Moltes gracias. Huh? gracias. They also say merci, like in eh, French, by the way. It's true. It's mm-hmm. true. Moltes gracias. Y adeus. Thank you very much. Thank You're you. welcome. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, teaches the skills of smart travel. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guidebooks and phrasebooks for Spain, Portugal, and every other corner of Europe. To learn more about Rick's books for Iberia and beyond, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com.